The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Got a long passage today. The last couple of weeks I've preached like two verses each week, and so it's like, man, we're going to spend the rest of our lives moving through Colossians if I go through this slowly. So um, I'm actually going to try to an attempt to cover the remainder of chapter two this morning. Um, I'm going to start with verse eight, which I read last week, but it's going to help with some context. So um, we're going to read through chapter two in Colossians verse eight through the end of the chapter. Uh, so don't, don't zone out on me as I'm reading this. Let the word of God just pierce your hearts today. All right. Everybody have it? All right. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. God says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him... Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perished as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are in stopping the inheritance of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. So I hope you guys brought a snack, because uh, I'm going to have to preach all of these verses. Uh, I'm going to try to do it in 30 minutes. So here we go. We good? All right. A couple of years ago, CBS News reported that a Missouri man named Paul Baroni spent almost four decades of his life behind bars. He was locked up at 17 years old, and finally in 2018, he was released. And upon his release, it was interesting that he actually found it very difficult to adjust to the life of being a free man. And he actually, believe it or not, longed to go back to prison. And so 
he, he got so desperate for that to happen that he actually one evening went into a restaurant and he pretended to have a gun and he, he put his hand in his coat and pointed his finger out at one of the employees and he said, hey, I want you to give me cash and I want you to call the police or I'm going to shoot somebody. And so the employee did as she was told and the cop showed up and he surrendered and he said, just please take me back to jail. Now, it's astonishing to me to think that someone who is released from prison, I think this is good. Do I need to switch it out? All right, here we go. Try number three. All right, there we go. So it's astonishing to me to think that someone released from prison would actually want to go back again. I mean, imagine being locked up for four decades of your life, being released finally, getting to experience the world, and then wanting to go back. But then again, think about this. Most of us have a certain affinity for the familiar. Do we not? Even when the familiar is mundane or even unpleasant. Let me give you a couple examples. Perhaps you landed a dream job at some time, something, uh, a position that you really wanted. But shortly thereafter, you begin to long for that old place of employment again. And maybe your old job was you, you were underpaid and, and perhaps underappreciated. You worked long hours, and it wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do with your life, but you, you somehow began to long for that old position again. Why? Because it was familiar. And so you began at your new job to romanticize the past and that old position, and you just desired to go back. You didn't want to face the new job and the new challenges. You just wanted to go back to the familiar. And I'll give you another example that we see all the time. Men and women who go back to very toxic relationships, knowing that they're harmful. Why? Because they're familiar. And so there will be a breakup, right? But then that person will start to romanticize the relationship as he or she thinks back. And go, oh, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad. And it's just this vicious cycle. But I think we can all on some level relate to this idea that it is easy to go back to people into situations that are less than God's best for us. Would you agree? Because we tend to do that very thing, to romanticize the past and cling to the familiar. Who's with me? Well, that is uh, precisely Paul's concern for the Colossians. As he's writing this letter, he is concerned that these first century believers might go back to their old ways and old ideologies um, from before they knew Christ. He's very concerned about this. And so he, as I talked about last week, he, he implores them. He says, don't let anybody take you captive. Don't let them pull you off uh, of this path that you are on. You are in Christ. You are serving Christ. And remember, he says, continue to walk in him. Don't get off track. Now, when Paul is writing, you know, he's, a, he's very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And I would imagine it seems that he has the, uh, the story of Israel in his mind. You remember Israel, right? They were slaves in Egypt. They were living in horrible conditions under this Pharaoh. And so God sends by His grace Moses and Aaron 
And he, he, he sends them so that they could lead his people of Israel out of Egypt and towards the promised land. And so God does all these incredible miracles, sends plagues, and he parts the Red Sea, and he, he moves mightily on behalf of the Israelites, and he sets them on this path towards the promised land. But as they get near the promised land, remember what happens? They send out 12 spies to kind of check out the land of Canaan. Ten of the spies out of the 12 come back with a very pessimistic report. They say, oh, listen, the land is great, but there's some challenges. There are some obstacles there, and I just don't know if this is going to work for us. Forgetting what God had just brought them out of. And forgetting his promises. And so here's how the people reply. This is Numbers 14, verse 1. It says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. I mean, here God is about to do a new thing in them, and they wept. And, and it says, All of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we would have died in the land of Egypt, or that we would have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Or wives, our, our, our wives and our little ones will become a, a prey. Would it not be better? Watch this. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Wait a minute. You want to go back to where you were enslaved and treated so horribly? Wow, that is the tendency of the human heart, right? What are, they doing? what are they doing here? They're forgetting how bad it really was. They're romanticizing the past, and they're tempted to go back to where God just had delivered them from. Now, that's incredible to me that they would want that. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader, verse 4, and go back to Egypt. So you know what Paul is telling the Colossians here? You know what he's saying to them? He's saying, don't go back to Egypt. Do not go back to Egypt. God has brought you out through Christ. Do not go back to Egypt. And I want to say to you today, those of you who are in Christ, don't go back to Egypt. Let me give you this morning some reasons to resist going backwards. Reasons to resist going backwards. All right, you with me? Because there's this tendency. There, there is always somebody or something that will try to get you off track of where Christ has you, right? The enemy is out to kill, to steal, and destroy, right? And he will use people and situations, do anything he can to get you off track. And so I want to give you this morning, and I hope this is a message you can celebrate, because I want to remind you of some reasons to resist that temptation, I want to show you some benefits in this text to walking in Christ. And number one is this. You can write this down. Christians, real followers of Jesus, we are complete in Christ. We're complete in Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness, this is verse 9, for in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him 
who is the head of all rule and authority. This is incredible news. Here's what the false teachers in Colossae are trying to say. They're saying that Christ is not enough. They're saying, oh, you believe in Jesus, that's, that's fine, that's, that's great, but it's actually, if you want to be really, really spiritual, if you want to be complete, you actually need more than Christ. You need this other ideology. You need, you need this other uh, you know, you know, um, thing in your life, this other spiritual element in your life if you're going to be co- complete. And Paul says, no. Jesus Christ, He is God the Son. And if you have Christ, you are complete in Him. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration I'm a little bit hesitant to give you because I just quoted the Prince's Bride a couple weeks ago. I lost my man card. I'm about to lose it again. But in 1996, I took one for the team, and I watched the movie uh, Jerry Maguire with my soon-to-be wife. Um, You're not going to give me a hard time about this one? Okay, that's good. All right, it's a sports movie. Yeah, I like it. In the famous scene where Jerry busts in the room of a group of women to win back Dorothy, his compelling speech crescendos with these famous words, I love you. You complete me. As moving as that scene might be, friends, listen, it is based upon a lie. It is based upon a lie. As a matter of fact, if you are expecting your spouse to complete you, you are putting a burden on your spouse that he or she cannot bear. Because there is no other human being, there's no other human being in this world that can complete you. You are born, every single human being is born with what Augustine would call a God-shaped chasm or hole in your heart. There is a void in your life that can only be filled by God. And here's what happens. Human beings, we have this tendency to try to fill that void with everything else. It's different for different people, but listen, sex won't fill that void. Um, Power will not fill that void. Drugs will not fill that void. Relationships will not fill that void. Career will not fill that void. Money will not fill that void. No, that, that chasm, that hole in your heart is there because of sin. And sin separates you from God. Sin separates you from God. And so that longing in your heart that you feel apart from Christ is this. I need to be reconciled to my Creator. You may not be able to articulate it or recognize it, but there's nothing that will satisfy your heart except for that relationship with God to be restored. Nothing else will do it. And so Christ came precisely so that you could be reconciled to the Father. It's a beautiful thing. So when you come to Jesus, all of a sudden, for the first time in your life, you are complete. And Paul is saying here, why in the world jeopardize that? You don't need any other religion, any other ideology. You are complete in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So don't go back to Egypt. Number two, a second benefit that we have as Christians is that we are new creations in Christ. How many love a fresh start? Amen. In verse 11, 
He says, in him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, Paul uses it. You say, why in the world is the Bible talking about circumcision? That's kind of odd, right? If you're not used to this, if you've not been in church long, um, you might be really confused by this. But Paul is using circumcision here figuratively. But in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign under the Old Covenant that signified that a person belonged to the covenant nation, God's people. And I love what John MacArthur writes about this. He says, quote, that the cutting away of the foreskin on the male reproductive organ was a graphic way to demonstrate that man needed cleansing at the deepest level of his being. No other part of the human anatomy so demonstrates life and all that he produces is sinful. So circumcision was used symbolically to illustrate the desperate need man had for a cleansing of the heart, end quote. Now, some of the false teachers, we call them Judaizers, were going around telling non-Jewish Christians that, hey, if you actually want to be part of God's family, in addition to Christ, you also need to have your males circumcised. And Paul refutes this. He says, no. It is unnecessary for believers to be circumcised because this Old Testament practice is fulfilled in Jesus. Through Christ, watch this, through Christ, true believers have a spiritual circumcision of the heart. And that's what the Bible tells us we need. It's a cutting away of the sinful nature. We are no longer dominated as believers by our sinful nature. And as a result, if a person is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Hallelujah. And then he goes on in verse 12, 7, says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul uses a second metaphor here that's drawn from Jesus' death on the cross. And he emphasizes that spiritually, Christians have participated in Christ's death. And then he points to the rite of baptism. This is the sign that we have been buried with Him. And the emphasis here is on our union with Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been uh, joined with Him. And beyond that, we've been raised with Christ spiritually by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This experience of death and resurrection in Jesus makes a radical new start in the life of a real follower of Jesus. Which again begs the question, why jeopardize this? Why would you ever want to go back to that old way before Christ? We are new creations in Christ. We are complete in Christ. Number three, third benefit is this. Christians are alive in Christ. We've moved from death to life. Look at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah! Because of our sin, watch this, we've had a death sentence over our heads. 
You may not realize that every one of us are deserving, because of sin, of the wrath of God. So there's this uh, death sentence that's, that's hung above us since, our, since we were born. But God stepped in and through Christ's cross, He by grace has canceled out the debt of our sins. Through Christ, we've been reconciled to the Father, and our debt of sin has been nailed to the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. I love the song. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Hallelujah. Is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. We are alive in Christ. We are forgiven in Christ. Why would we jeopardize that? Number four, fourth reason not to go back to Egypt, not to go back to our old ways is that we have victory in Christ. We are victorious in Him. It's not, it's not just our debt that, that was dealt with on the cross but look at verse 15. It says that Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's incredible. There were those in Colossae that lived in fear of certain elemental spirits. And we still have some Christians who are very superstitious. I'm not going to walk under a ladder, right? There's a superstition that still exists among Christians. But understand that we have no reason to fear the powers of darkness. Though we still wrestle against powers and principalities, watch this, they cannot be victorious in the life of a Christian. To be united to Jesus is to be free from the dominion of Satan himself. Hallelujah. So we are victorious in Christ. Number five, we are free in Christ. We are free in Christ. Paul's chief complaint is that the Colossian heretics have changed the Christ alone message. And then they added other religious and legalistic practices to the Christians. Today, if you really want to be saved, you need to do this as well. But Paul reminds us believers that we are free in Christ. We have all we need in Jesus. We can rest in Him. We don't have the burden of trying to earn God's love or earn our salvation. We can rest in the finished work of Christ Jesus. So he begins verses 16 and 17. Paul encourages believers not to be brought down by legalism. Verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now here, food laws, festivals, new moon celebration, and Sabbath laws, these are uh, distinct uh, Jewish observances found in the Old Testament. And these observances were all mere shadows of what's to come. They pointed to Christ. They have found their fulfillment in Him. So we don't have to worry about these dietary food laws. We just have to be gluten-free, right, um, under the new covenant. You know what we do as Christians? We look to Christ, who is the bread of life. Under the new covenant, we don't deserve, 
observe Passover anymore because Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. This feast was fulfilled in Jesus. We don't have to follow all of the 613 laws found in the Old Testament. We are under the law of Christ, which is a summary, essentially, of the Ten Commandments. Love God, love people. And legalism is where we make our own convictions. Now, understand me, I'm not talking about biblical convictions. That The Bible is very clear about certain sins that are, 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 you know, that are wrong. So no matter how you feel about them, they're wrong. But I'm talking about extra-biblical rules or practices that you may have convictions about. Legalism is we, when we make those convictions other people's obligation. And we need to be careful about that. It's a tightening of the law that Christ died to set us free from. The Pharisees were notorious for this. They, they, here they had all these laws to obey, and they, they added their own human traditions so, to where nobody ever felt good enough. I, I witnessed to a guy not long ago, Actually, R.D. and I were together, and, and we were witnessing to someone who grew up in church. And as, as is common in this area, he, he grew up in a very legalistic church. And in addition to, to following the, the moral law of God, they, they said things like this, well, you can't watch TV, and you have to dress a certain way. And, you, and they added all these human traditions to biblical commands. And this young man was so overwhelmed by the extra laws that were put on him that he said, forget it, I don't want anything to do with this. And he walked away from God, and, and he's mad at the church, mad at God, because of what we call legalism. And be careful. and Do not let other Christians put you in this type of bondage. Listen, to be clear, I believe in holiness. I believe in the pursuit of holiness. But I want, I want to pursue biblical holiness, not human beings' interpretation of what holiness should be. Then Paul moves from legalism to mysticism. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, which is this severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. And he says, and the worship of angels. Remember, only God is to be worshipped. And then he says, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So these false teachers are not only erroneous in their teachings, but they're having these visions and ideas that are disconnected from Christ. I'm okay with visions. I believe in that. We're a Pentecostal church. I believe that people can have a word from the Lord, but those things ought to always be held up to the truth of God's word. They'll never contradict the word of God. Okay, the only infallible word of God that we have is the written scriptures, okay? So, so we, have to, we have to be careful of these enticing words from men and women who would seek to ever so slightly get our eyes off of Christ. And then in verse 20, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that perished as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These, watch this, 
Verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These ideas presented to the believers, they look so enticing. That's what I want you to see. The, the enemy is, is good, isn't he, at what he does. He'll put things in front of us that look so enticing. They seem like they would make us more spiritual, but in fact, they move us away from Christ. And human beings have this tendency to be attracted to dramatic acts of self-sacrifice. Do we not? Self-denial. This makes us, here's what it does, it makes us feel in control of our own salvation. Like there's a little piece of us, even though we know we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, there's this part of us that wants to have control over our own salvation. We want to we earn it still, the, this world's way of religion. But the gospel makes no room for this. Grand gestures made for God will get us nowhere. God has already done. Hear me. I hope this frees somebody today. God has already done everything necessary in Christ for salvation. And there's nothing left to be undone. So don't let anybody give you a Christ plus message because that message will take you back to Egypt, take you back to bondage, take you back to slavery. You will not experience the freedom that you are supposed to have in Christ. Run from it. Run from it. Dina, if you would come to the piano, please. Dustin Benge, a lecturer and administrative research assistant at Southern Seminary, wrote the following on Twitter this week. He says this, Christ is the bread of life. Without Him, we're hungry. Christ is the light of the world. Without Him, we're, we are in darkness. Christ is the good shepherd. Without Him, we are wanderers. Christ is the vine. Without Him, we are withered. Christ is the life. Without Him, we're dead. In Christ, we have absolutely everything that we need. Everything. He's the author and He's the finisher of our faith. Legalism will not help you. You don't need it. You don't need man-made rules and human traditions. You just need Christ. Mysticism, your horoscope will not help you. Run from it. New age thinking will not help you. I don't care how much yoga you do, it's not going to make you any more spiritual. just want to encourage you this morning because we live in a culture, I mean, the, kind of the southern culture is notorious for tightening the law of God in adding things, burdens on you that you were never meant to carry. And I would encourage somebody today to rest in the finished work of Christ. And then my heart is so heavy today because I've watched friends and loved ones be tempted with this idea of going back and renouncing their faith. And I want to plead with you 
this morning, if you are there and you are toying with the idea of walking away from what you have in Christ, do not do it. Because in Jesus, you are complete. You're a new creation. You're alive in Him. You are victorious in Him. And you are free in Him. And the devil will do anything he can in his power to talk you out of what you have in Jesus and to try to get you to go backwards. Do not believe the lie. Do not romanticize the past and go, oh, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad without Christ. Oh, friend, it's death without Christ. It's God's wrath without Christ. It's bondage without Christ. There is this idea around Christianity. It's a false idea that when you come to Jesus, that life is kind of mundane and it's boring and it's, it's binding. Because a lot of people equate Christianity with just a bunch of rules that you have to live by. But the few rules that we have are not meant to bind you. They're actually meant to help you. Because our Creator, the one who made you, gave you these statutes not to bind you but to help you so that you could have what the Bible would call abundant life. So I encourage you, oh, I plead with you, don't go back. Jesus, when He came and He gave this incredible Sermon on the Mount, and He preaches an upside-down kingdom, or perhaps a right-side-up kingdom. And he says, actually, blessed are the meek. He talks about forgiving those who have wronged you. This is not the way the world operates. No, if you, if you want to move ahead, what? You need to be prideful. You need, to, you, you need to have a lot of self-confidence and just run over whoever you can to get to the top. That's what the leaders of the first century were doing. That's what they do today. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. He gives all these principles that are, it's a new way of thinking for us. Principles that, that work because they're according to His kingdom, not man's kingdom. And it's actually what He gives is a new and better way to be human. <laughs> Why would you ever want to go back? If you've been toying with this idea, may the Holy Spirit move you to repentance today. And I pray that this somehow today, this message will cause you to fix your gaze upon Jesus Christ. That you won't look to the left or to the right, but you'll just keep moving forward in Him. Because friends, He's all we need. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.